Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. Our show is a great way to connect and bounce ideas off of other parents going through similar experiences, helping us be the best parents we can be. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle. I am a busy mommy of two. My son, Alexandre, is two-year-old, and my son, Nathan, is almost six months old, actually, on December 30. It's going to be six months. It's so exciting. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe it. It's gone so fast. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so today, via telephone, all the way from California, we are welcoming Catherine Belt. Today, Catherine will be talking to us about recognizing, coping, and potentially preventing addiction. So let's go around the table, and let's introduce ourselves. Hi everyone, I'm Heather Fox. I'm co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old and my son Hudson is 23 months, so almost two years, and I'm expecting baby number two. And hi everyone, I'm Catherine Belt. I'm 59 years old. I have two sons, Hunter and Austin, and uh, they are um, 34 and 28. Well, thank you, Catherine, and thank you, Heather, for being here today. I actually met Katrin at the Pacific Dental Conference last year in Vancouver, and I have been to one of your talks. That was fantastic. So I reached out to Katrin, and she was happy to join us on one of our podcasts. Uh, Katrin, when I met you at the Pacific Dental Conference, you did talk about your son addiction story and um, it's very inspiring so I would love it if you could share it with our listeners I would like to start with that today yeah sure I'd be glad to and thanks for having me on uh, parent talk I I think this is a great uh, forum Uh, wish I would have had something like this when I was raising my two boys so uh, so good job on this thank you Um, yes I'm a communications coach Uh, I run a company called lion speak and um, primarily, we do communications coaching uh, in the field of leadership and team building, patient uh, communications for the dental and healthcare uh, fields. And that's where we met, as you as you said. And I was giving a lecture on leadership communication, and part of that uh, talk was focused on something we call courageous and crucial conversations. And it turns out that while those are hugely important in business uh, to be able to manage and master those kinds of communications, they're also important personally. And so at the end of that lecture, I, I often will share a story that sometimes the most courageous and crucial conversations that you'll have will be with someone you love very much and it's very close to you, and it, it, it raises the stakes for the outcome of that. And luckily, the skills are the same. They're exactly the same. And so the story that you heard and, and wanted me to share is a story of my youngest son, Austin, who was a great athlete and great student and great kid. And um, he was a motocross rider, 
I think that's why this story is so profound because he he wasn't a struggling kid. He didn't struggle in school. He he loved riding motocross and competing at a very high level. Um, but like a lot of sport, you know, there's a level of danger. I think in motocross there's there's a high level. At one point, after he had already gone what they call amateur pro, he was injured pretty severely. Put him in the hospital for quite quite some time. And after, you know, a long stay in the hospital and some broken bones and a bruised uh, liver and spleen, um, lots of stitches, lots, lots and lots of things, came home with all of these uh, instructions, you know, as we, that we were determined to dutifully follow as a good parent and lots of bandages and salves and ointments and also um, antibiotics and pain medications. And I think, you know, we were a pretty normal family. We we followed the doctor's instructions and gave him all the things they told us to. And unfortunately for us, no one didn't know that much about painkillers and what we now know were opioids. But And so we gave them to him as instructed. And um, we did, had no idea that the pills we were giving him because we hadn't been counseled or really no information was shared with us about the dangers of those. And um, really kind of a very long story short, um, Austin became addicted to those uh, pain uh, medications. We we really didn't know how to spot it. We didn't recognize it. And that he took a very typical journey through that addiction. At first, it was just what he was prescribed. And then he was, you know, we got refills for him because because he kept convincing us he needed them. And then pretty soon, and I think he felt like he needed them. But then pretty soon the doctors were like, no, that's probably enough. And um, and then he found them in our, we had drawers of them from root canals or third molar extraction, you know, wisdom teeth extractions mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. We just would take one or two and throw it in a drawer, not knowing so he went through those, and we we weren't even aware of it at the time. Um, at some point, he began to use his race earnings to buy them on the street. And, you know, he's still going to school. He's still managing to even uh, get back on his bike and compete, but nothing was the same. The grades weren't the same. The competition uh, wasn't the same. His skill level wasn't the same. And that quickly just, you know, his behavior radically changed toward us and toward you know, pretty much everyone. And that's where we really began to notice that something was seriously wrong. This wasn't about the injuries any longer, but about, you know, some other shift. What we now know is that, as with many, those uh, pills on the street can be purchased, but they're very expensive. So once he'd gone through all the money he had, he began to, you know, uh, pilfer it from our bank account or our uh, checkbook. And once we got savvy to that, it... uh, it you know and and cut him off. Then we began to get some counseling for him and do what we could. We began to be very concerned and and but eventually he went to using what uh, is on the street and was affordable to him, which was heroin. So within just a very short period of time, I would say eighteen months to two years from the time of that accident, he was uh, mainlining heroin on the streets. And this was a, a journey that no one would have ever predicted, certainly not his parents, but anyone who knew him, teachers or coaches. Or It was the beginning of a almost eight-year struggle for him in and out of rehabs, in and out of hospitals, car accidents, jail cells, 
a real tumultuous, incredibly difficult time for all of us, most especially him. The story I tell is at one point, uh, as a recently single mother, something had to change because what I was doing wasn't working for him or for me. And so I reached out for some help and I got some coaching on how to sit down with him. And, you know, initially the coaching wasn't for him. It was really for me. I thought I was reaching out to, you know, on his behalf, but uh, she was a wise coach. And she said, you know, first we start with you as the, as his parent and as and this person invested in this relationship. And we explored what I was afraid of and what I feared and what I wanted and what the boundaries, you know, needed to be. And um, I got some really good advice and some good coaching and practice on how to have a really hard conversation, uh, drawing a very, very firm boundary and being ready to pull the trigger on that boundary. And um, it was ultimately life-changing. Austin's now been clean for um, over two years, uh, going on his third year or toward his third year, we like to say, the longest time he's been clean. And, you know, we, we've learned enough to know that we can't predict the future, but he works, he supports himself, he has great relationships now, and really rebuilding his life. And I think um, we're very hopeful that, unlike a lot of our friends and colleagues who have lost loved ones to this horrific addiction, um, we've been fortunate so far that we've been able to navigate our way through it. But part of what Austin and I both have spoken about recently is our desire to help others, to help other children, to help other parents, to help other healthcare professionals to navigate this differently and to understand it and and to put out a message of hope and maybe some skill sets that can be you know, replicated in families that are struggling with the similar problem. And and so, you know, I think what you heard was uh, me sharing the kind of the structure and the bones of that conversation that was so challenging, but so meaningful ultimately to Austin and to me. Part of what I know is Austin, there were two moments that were turning points for him in really reclaiming his life. Uh, one of them was this conversation that I had with him, and the second was a conversation that a, a one of his drug counselors uh, was re- really impactful to him. And so he would tell you it was life-changing, but I would tell you that it didn't just to impact him positively, but also myself. I've used the same strategies, communication strategies with clients. Um, with other family members for, you know, maybe less traumatic events, but still but still needing to draw some sort of a boundary or, or create a new agreement and using some of those same skills with a lot of success. So yeah. So I think that's that was the sharing that you that you heard from me. I think what I wanted people to know in that presentation was all while this is a business leadership uh, presentation these skills are life skills. They really are. They, I, you know, I think they're they're the same skills you use with the people you care the most about, and and they just happen to also work at in our profession as well. Yeah. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you would have known then? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, I certainly, of course, wish that I would have known more about addiction and the signs, the early signs of it. 
there were definitely signs we missed and turned a blind eye to. There were plenty of signs early on. I think we could have caught this early, potentially, and averted some of the disastrous downstream effects it had for Austin. He's still digging himself out of a hole. So I think as a parent, getting yourself educated about the signs of drug use about and not ignoring those. Not, I think if you have a little voice inside that wonders, you should pay attention to it. You should absolutely pay attention to it um, because I had the voice early on and I just ignored it. And I've learned that that intuition is, is never wrong. So I think that. I also think I wish I would have known earlier how to hold, how to recognize my own fears in holding a boundary holding tight to a boundary that I had laid. I had pretty classic codependent behavior, you know, looking back. And that is that you'll get really serious and you'll lay down a, a law and you'll, you know, you'll create a rule and you'll, you'll have a boundary. But then kids, especially teenagers, I think they get really good. It's just part of how they're growing up. They get really good at manipulating, uh, you know, to get what they want. And so, Without great coaching, the the coaching I ultimately got, I would lay down the boundary, but I I had a really hard time holding firm on it. And so once I got, I, I did so much as a young child, but as a teenager, I did. And so I think one of the things I wish I would have gotten earlier or known earlier was to get that coaching and to learn how to how to be loving and really supportive and respectful to him and really hold that boundary tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about respecting you yourself know, a yeah. lot too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because most of my boundaries came, most of my boundaries came to him in anger. You know, he'd, he'd messed up and I'd say, that's it, you know, and I'd lay down this boundary and it was really in anger. It is so powerful to come not in anger, to, to, to say, I've thought long and hard about this. I'm prepared for the consequences this is my boundary, and I love you, I have faith in you, I have trust in you, I believe in you, I believe you're going to... That's very powerful to say to anyone, but particularly a teenager, to say, even if you don't, I believe in you. I believe that you have the ability to decide what's in your best interest, or, or to eventually get to the place that's in your best interest, to claim your life, to make good decisions. I believe in you. And what I know is I, I cannot walk this road for you. I can't, I can't walk it. I can tell you that this is the boundary here, as it will be in all of life. There will be a line that when you cross it, there will be a consequence. And I want you to know, even if you do, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to support you, but I won't bail you out. It often would tell you that he quickly learned, once I really did that, not in anger, but in very loving, clear terms, he knew not to call me when he, you know, when he would find himself in jail. He he wouldn't call me because he knew I would not, I would take the call, but I wouldn't bail him out. And he would, he would ultimately hang up on me. You know, he would say, well, if you're not going to bail me out, then, you know, you don't love me. And he would hang up, but I wouldn't, I would take the call and I would talk to him. But when he would say, please, please, I'm done. I, you know, I've got it. I'm not going to do this anymore. Just bail me out. And I would, because, because in doing that with the coaching I got, I realized that I robbed him of the ability to own the consequence and find his way out. When they find their way out and they realize they can survive it, they'll get themselves out. They'll, they'll do what they need to do. They'll pay the price. 
they begin to learn that they have more power than they thought they had. They have more strength than they thought they had. And so I wish I would have done that much sooner. I'm glad I did it when I did, but I think it could have potentially ultimately saved his life. So do I wish I would have done it earlier? Of course. But thankfully, I reached out for the coaching because I could see that I wasn't getting it done. I, I just... I was afraid that I was going to get a call in the middle of the night from a coroner saying your kid is overdosed and is dead. And when my counselor said, what are you afraid of? And I articulated that. She said, well, okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's a, that's a real fear. That's a reasonable fear. That's fair. And then her next question was, what do you know for sure about his addiction and the process when he's living with you? And what I know, knew for sure is that he continued to use. No matter what boundary I drew, he continued to use. And she said, so isn't he at risk for doing that right now? Isn't he at risk tonight? Even though he's living, even you've not kicked him out, he's living at home, but isn't he at risk? Because you know he's going to use. <laughs> I said, so she said, really, the thing you're afraid of by kicking him out, he's, it's already here. And that moment of recognizing that actually the very thing I was afraid of, I was actually supporting. I was actually encouraging inadvertently. And so, you know, then it was like, but what you don't know is what would he do if he did hold this line? You know, what what would he do? What would he claim? And certainly it could still happen. And so, you know, sitting down and she practiced with me, she said, I can tell you he's going to, he's going to be angry. He's going to call you names. He's going to tell you you aren't a good mother. You don't ever, you never loved him. Then when that doesn't work, he's going to plead and cry and beg, play on your sympathies. When that doesn't work, he's going to circle back around to anger. You know, so just you have to be ready to hold that state of calm, sure, certain. There's a bigger, better kid in there. There's a person in there that is worth something. And I'm going to speak to that higher place I know you can be. And that was huge. It was just huge. Wow. Heather, I know you um, have a close friend of you that struggled with alcohol addiction, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you were quite supportive. Yeah. You even went there for quite a... Yeah, (laughs) you're quite involved. Yeah, so a lot of the things you're saying, like the manipulation, I mean, that's very, like, that's a very classic characteristic of addicts, whether it be drugs or alcohol or other, whatever that addiction might be, but definitely that manipulation. And I remember when I finally helped her into, to get to a hospital to detox, and it was about kind of going through, like, it was at the point where you couldn't completely take away the alcohol until they were going to start her on a program, like, with Adivan to kind of ease her off so she wouldn't have seizures and all this kind of stuff. But she was still trying to hide alcohol in her bag. And it was, you know, oh, no, that's my water. Like, no. So I had to take, you know, I had to take kind of charge and kind of take things away. And then, you know, I was being yelled at and name called and everything. And I just had to be really calm and really loving and really supportive and say, you know, you will be, you know, everything is going to it just feels really hard right now. And I know you feel really mad right now, but you know, this is for the good. You're going to get better. You're here to get better. We're all here to help you and we love you. And like, that was a really hard thing. And then same thing, she had 
personal prescription of Ativan that she'd had before, and she also had that in her backpack. So now she's admitted at the hospital, and she's trying to also self-medicate. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> but she's, again, trying to manipulate the way, like, oh, I'm allowed this. And just the stories kind of that she would come up with. And But again, I just kind of had to hold firm and, you know, and not be scared that you know, my feelings weren't going to get hurt. This was not about that. This was, I need to do what's right for her and protect her and make sure she understands I'm doing this out of love. And that's, that's what it was. And I mean, you know, to like, you know, now she's come out completely the other side and, you know, she barely remembers any of this, of course, (laughs) but, um, yeah, yeah, you know, you can't, you can't judge them at that point. You know, you have to, and she said, you know, he's going to say, I hate you. And you're yeah. going to say, I know, yeah. and I love you. Yeah. And, and you can't live, you can't live here anymore. No. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll drive you. Here's yeah. where I'll drive you. Well, I don't want to go there. Well, okay. <laughs> then I trust that you're going to make your decision as you need to. Now, yeah. this is an older, this is an older child, right? It's not a younger child, but, yeah. but, you know, as an older child, I was able to say, you know, I can't stop you and, and you're going to do what you're going to do. This is what I will do. Yeah. What I will do is I will drive you to this rehab and I will support you and I will love you no matter what decision you make. Yeah. And I'm trusting that whatever you do, you're going to find your way. I believe you will find your way. Right. Now, I know there's risk in this, you know, right? Like he could have and and actually almost did twice over. To, he landed in the hospital yeah. near nearly dead. Yeah. So I know for sure that we 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 walked a very fine line yeah. and we were very fortunate and very I feel very blessed so far. I do. So I don't mean to make light of it. I don't I don't mean to make light of what we're dancing with. No, but no. the truth was we were already dancing with it. Yeah. We were already dancing with it and and he was already at that risk. And I, what I didn't want, I couldn't stop it if it happened, but I could know in my heart that I didn't give him an easy way to do that. You know, I, he had a beautiful room in our home. He had two hardworking parents. We, full refrigerator, a beautiful private bedroom with a TV and a cell phone and, you know, transportation. And, and so it, it was easy. Yeah. And my coach definitely helped me to see that I was inadvertently part of that addiction Mm -hmm. and supporting it. And of course, that's not what I wanted to do. So really hard moment as a parent that when they say tough love, it's, it's, that's a true phrase. It's tough to love someone enough to set them free, to let the chips fall and let them find themselves, let them find their strength. That's very hard to do because the risks are high, but the risks are high either way. And um, I couldn't stress enough getting strong counseling or coaching um, for, for this. It's not the coaching I do, but I was so appreciative of it because I grew as much in this experience as Austin ever did. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Catherine, do you mm-hmm. have any uh, advice for parents who wanted to have this crucial conversation with their children? Well, uh, yeah, I think, like I said, I, I would definitely advise getting some coaching, but some of the things I learned from the coaching is practice with someone. Practice with, practice holding that steady. First of all, don't do it in anger. Don't do it in fear. Get yourself strong. Like she told me, you know, nothing's going to happen in the next few days. Let's probably, you know, highly unlikely. So get some good night's sleep. 
go out and get a workout, do some meditation or, or whatever, you know, whatever people, prayer or reading or whatever, you know, be with a friend, um, whatever builds you up and causes you to feel strong. She said, go do that because the, you're going to need all your strength to come into this and get yourself healthy and strong. You can't give health to someone if you don't have it. So the first thing she said is we've got to get you healthy, emotionally healthy and physically healthy and ready to do this. So that was the first thing. Second thing was don't let them dictate the time. You dictate it. You find a time where this can be done, where you're not triggered in anger or in fear or in sadness, that you're as stable emotionally as you can possibly, as, as sort of she described it as shifting the car into neutral. You're in neutral. You're not revved up and you're not slowed down. So shift into neutral and practice staying in neutral. She was so spot on. Uh, we practiced it and she would, you know, yell at me or, and then she would cry and beg. And then she would, and that's, it was exactly what he did. He tried to come in every door he could. He wasn't used to me not being triggered. And when I wasn't triggered and I held that line and I said, look, I just, nobody's going to love you as much as me in your whole life. I love you no matter what you say. You know it. They know it. And she said, trust it. You don't have to justify this. You don't have to explain it. You've made a decision. You're not asking. You're not asking for permission. You're stating what is. You've decided. This is it. And so this is not about him. It's really about what you need in your home, and she said, you're setting an example for him that when he has a home, that it's up to him to set the standards. It's up to him to set the boundaries. This isn't up to anyone else. So it's that's why she said the coaching's not for him. It's for you. It's for you to say, this is my home. I have other children. I have other people. I have myself, and I'm worth it, and so are you. You can stay if you don't use. If you use, you're done, and here's where I'll take you, uh, but we're not going to, we're not going to continue this. And I've decided. And so then it, what's interesting about that is then there's nothing they can say or do that will change that because you've decided and you've done it in love. So my advice would be get that kind of support. Even if you can't afford private coaching or counseling, there are of course an association called Al-Anon that is made for people who are the supporting family members of people who are addicts. And there is no cost for that where they can find this kind of support and this kind of coaching. But I, you know, I happened to reach out to someone that I knew and trusted so that, you know, that was lucky for me. And she also knew Austin. So, you know, that made it even better. So practice it and get ready and then hold strong with it and um, hold your loved one up, you know, especially your child up to that highest version of themselves that you can see. I'd already seen what he could do and how he could be. And I knew what was inside there, even when he, because really you're looking at them and you see a bigger, better person inside of them than they can see in, in themselves at the moment. And um, they talk really tough, but they don't feel tough. Mm -hmm. They don't feel strong. I spoke to that one. I spoke to the strong, capable, brilliant young man I knew inside there rather than the one that was being displayed. I spoke to the other one that I knew. And when you speak to that one, it's a conversation of hope and of respect and it's very disarming to the other person. It's very disarming for someone to love you that much 
and hold you up to that highest light and still hold their own personal boundary really tough. You know, it's very disarming. It's very powerful. Which is exactly what you you need them mm-hmm. to be disarmed, you know, to, to make a better decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that could mm-hmm. happen to our spouses. I mean, we're talking about friends, we're talking about oh, your for son, sure. but that can be a very hard conversation to have with either a husband or wife. Are, you, are they going right. to leave? You know, you ha- even if you have little ones at home, this is very scary, you know, and uh, this this is re- really the reason why I thought that was really important to have you on our podcast to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I wish I would have learned these skills earlier with Austin. I think they apply to, you know, smaller than teenagers, younger than when people are, you know, raising adolescents even, I think... I've seen some parents recently that in our family, I'm recently married and my husband has four grown children and several of his children are already married and have children of their own. And I've been very encouraged by what good parents they are. And one of the things I think that I admire most about them is their ability to lay down a boundary and mean it. And it's not that they won't get down on the you know rug and play and read and play games with their children. They do, then they love them dearly but they're tough on them. They, they, they expect them to, to make decisions and sit with the consequences and they, they're tough on them. And I think it's important to be able to have those boundaries and to really speak to the higher version of the child because the behavior will often not be that version. So even though I'm a communications coach, I still have the same challenges everyone has. I still have a, an intimate relationship. I have friends, a deep relationship with friends. I have strong relationships with clients. And, and so there are, you know, if you have a relationship of any substance, you're going to hit a spot where there's disagreement or you have to clarify a boundary. And, and it's important that we can do that in love and in respect and, and in a way that can strengthen the relationship rather than damage it. So I think that's super important skill to learn personally. One of the best things I've ever understood is this personal leadership trait or characteristic of owning all of your outcomes. So, for example, if your children drive you crazy and you feel like you'd rather not go out to dinner because they misbehave so badly, it's not the kids. You know, it's not the kids. And the common thread between all of that is us. And if your intimate relationships or your work relationships or if you continue to see a pattern we're the common thread. And while initially that seems really heavy to accept that, you know, if you say, well, I'm not the one that's behaving like that or that I, you know, that I'm not the one that broke the trust or what, what, whatever it was. But if it's a recurring theme of any sort, while initially that feels heavy, I've learned that it's actually freeing to say I'm the common thread. Because what's freeing about that is we're the only one in that equation we have some control over really um it's us that we have that we could do a we could make a shift happen we can't guarantee that with anyone else but we can with ourselves and so i've actually really embraced okay i keep getting to this place that i don't enjoy with this person or with these groups of people and i keep getting here and so I'm responsible for an outcome. I'm not responsible for for the behavior, but I'm responsible for being here again. So what is it that I haven't clarified? What is it that I haven't addressed with myself? What 
what is that? Why do I keep ending up here? <laughs> and so I think with children, with other relationships, it's such an important, you know, it's that personal responsibility that I'm, I'm the creator of my reality. And, and that's a very, people who get that create the best lives, I think. Mm. So what was the hardest thing about this experience? Oh, gosh. You know, the hardest thing was just the fear. The day we had this conversation, he said, when he finally couldn't manipulate me in any any way, he was angry and got a ride and left. And I didn't hear from him for several weeks. And those were the longest few weeks of my life. Seriously, I, it was just torture. But I had a good, you know, I had good friends. I had a good coach that just kept me staying strong, reminding me that that was my job. And of course, he resurfaced at some point and, and found his way. I think that the hardest thing was the fear that, you know, that might be our last conversation. It took a lot of courage. I think it built a lot of strength in me. And, and I feel like it, it deepened our relationship for sure. But it was definitely a scary time, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Where uh, are you and Huston now in terms of your relationship? We're good. I so enjoy him now. It's the child I knew. He's a young man now. It's beautiful to watch him coming into his life. He's delayed. He would tell you the same. He's delayed probably, you know, in terms of his peers, he's probably delayed by seven years or eight years. But so good to watch him coming into his adulthood and being the strong, capable young man that I, I knew he could be. Um, our relationship is really good. He's anxious to give back. I think it feels good to think that maybe his life has a purpose and all of the struggle was for a purpose. So we're hopeful to be able to do that and contribute that. So that's been fun because I'm a speaker and I'm a trainer. You know, I think it's fun to think that he might also have a part of his professional life maybe tied to that in some way. It'll be fun to see where that all goes. But I will say an interesting little piece has been, and we've talked about this recently, he and I, a few months ago, I don't remember what, exactly what the circumstances were, but I hadn't heard from him. Uh, and I'd left several messages, and then I finally text, and you know, I, I tried to reach him several ways, and, and he hadn't responded. And immediately, my mind went to, uh-oh, you know, uh, the, I went to the worst. The worst has happened. He's relapsed, and... And now we're back to square one. And and so when I finally connected with him and he called me back, I, I kind of jumped on. I felt myself go back to that old behavior. And um, he said, Mom, just give me, give me some space to apologize and tell you I've been working some incredibly late hours. And it's really hard when this happens and you jump to the worst conclusion. It would really be better for me if you would jump to the best conclusion until I prove otherwise. And I thought, oh, how interesting that he's now starting to lay his own boundaries with me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the tables have turned a little bit. And it was so, it was so interesting because, of course, I'm going I'm to... I, I had such trauma around all those years of thinking we were done and then not being done, you know. And I told him, I said, I, I'm... You're right, and I will try very hard. I think it's going to be a long time to rebuild the trust that we've lost, you know. And he said, I get it. I get it. So let me rebuild that. He he works for a, a great big national sporting goods chain, and he's climbing his way up the, the ladder there. And, you know, through back to school and 
all the, you know, summer holidays. They've had really, really late hours, and he's trying to prove himself so he can move up this management chain. And and so, you know, I mean, he's doing all the right. It's so it's so interesting how quickly all that past history was triggered for me. And, you know, so, so that's where we are. We're still finding our way, you know, as, as all uh, adult relationships that have experienced trauma have to rebuild. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I can't, I think it's easy to go back to that space because uh, we're all scared. I mean, if you have a coach or helped yeah. or it, it's easy to go back to, uh, yeah being scared again. So Katrin, we can find you on our panel of expert at parenttalk.ca, but uh, where else can we find you? Oh, well, um, I would love to support anyone that's in need of this support for sure. I, I have a website. I mean, uh, my, my core business is leadership coaching and, and team building and, and, uh, and patient uh, or client um, communication. So we do a lot of phone skills training and very sort of didactic kind of things. But um, I do some inspirational keynotes, and Austin and I are working on a, on a keynote together. And uh, we're also, I'm also working on a presentation for healthcare professionals on the communication strategies with patients and how we can do our part to make sure that our patients are not put in these positions. They may go there on their own, but not because we didn't give them the proper education and the proper uh, guidance on the dangers of these medications and what to do with them. I think particularly with parents, we want to make sure that healthcare teams know how to sit a parent down and quickly counsel them properly on these drugs also how to dispose of them uh, properly if any unused portions so they're not lying around our households waiting for teenagers to get their hands on them or anyone to get their hands on them. So Austin and I are working on those two presentations, so I'd encourage anyone who works for a company or thinks, you know, maybe belongs to an association that might uh, in, enjoy either the inspirational keynote or or the more didactic skill set keynote uh, for healthcare professionals. But all of that can be found on our website, which is lionspeak.net, L-I-O-N-S-P-E-A-K.net. And an email, a good email would be info, I-N-F-O, at lionspeak.net. And, um, you know, I would love to support anyone. We do, I do a blog. I've been writing a weekly blog Uh, every Monday morning. It's called the Monday Morning Stretch, and um, I've been writing it for eight years. So I write about what's happening in my life and what I'm learning, and particularly as it relates to leadership, personal leadership, or communication. It's free, so if anyone would like to uh, go uh, to the website and sign up for that, it's free, and we'd love to to have that uh, available for anyone who's interested. And um, You know, like I said, we do coaching and training, and um, those would be the ways that uh, that you could find us. Awesome. So, Katrin, we play a game at every episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. It's time for a conversation card. Every week we like to play a game, not only for fun, but to get to know our guests a little more, too. Nobody knows what the mystery card might ask, sometimes silly and sometimes serious. Let's find out what it will be this week. Perfect. So Heather, can please pick one and read it to us? All right. So today's question is, what would your life be like if you had all your wishes granted? Ah, what would my life be like? All my wishes. Um, I would have a house 
in the mountains, a house at the beach, and I would be continuing to do work that really contributed to the greater good, and I'd be surrounded by people that I loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for you, Heather? Well, definitely. I mean, if all my wishes were granted, we would be, you know, financially at ease. <laughs> you know, the main big stresses in life would not have to be there. My husband would get to work his passion rather than, you know, the grueling day-to-day that just brings home the, you know, the money. <laughs> um, so I'd love to see, you know, just people be able to be passionate about what they want to do and not, you know, do it because they have to and just be able to have more time as a family together. And yeah, and I, I like the idea of a couple houses, <laughs> one up in the mountain, one at the beach. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. I take that too. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I left out Europe. I meant Europe too. Oh, definitely. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I would take the houses on the mountain, the house on the mountain, and the house on the beach. And uh, for me, I I would have my parents be healthy Mm. for uh, ever Mm -hmm. if I could. And I would have my brother back. Because my brother passed away from ALS and it was really hard to look at. Mm. And I would, that would have not happened to him I would have this void (laughs) yeah and of course Mm -hmm. health health for my family my boys uh, my husband Alistair and my family-in-law too they're so fantastic live a healthy life and uh, and go to the beach and the mountain (laughs) (laughs) love it it. (laughs) all right well that concludes today's episode i want to thank you catherine and heather for taking the time to be here and for your contribution into other parents lives helping us be the best parents we can be my pleasure and I, i hope it was helpful to to your listeners yeah for our listeners If you want to hear a little bit more about Heather and I, we are releasing some mini episodes called Real Mom Moments, where we talk about what's happening in our daily life as moms. And if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the contact us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or you can subscribe directly to this podcast on our website so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Please take a minute to review us. We want to know what you think. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.